Our next guest on JR Morning is among a group of mayors from major cities across the nation advocating for a critical public health issue. The mayors currently gathered in Washington, D.C. for the 92nd winter meeting of the U.S. Conference of Mayors are joining forces to urge the White House to enact a final rule prohibiting menthol cigarettes. Now, research underscores the detrimental impact of menthol cigarettes, revealing their heightened addictiveness, ease of initiation among youth, and increased difficulty for smokers attempting to quit. To talk more about this subject, let's welcome in Lansing Mayor Andy Shore. Mr. Mayor, thanks for coming on. Good morning. Good good morning. Thanks for having me. So I, I know while you've been there, you probably heard some experiences shared by some of the mayors at the uh, winter meeting there about how these uh, menthol cigarettes are directly harming their communities. Well, we have. We have. And honestly, you just said it all. Um, that's the, you know, the reason this is the research that's been going on. Um, I sponsored a resolution here uh, in the summer uh, to, to support the, the prohibition on the menthol cigarettes. Um, and we really thought it was going to be moving forward. It was going to happen. Uh, now we're not so sure. You know, there's, there's some politics at play. You've got big tobacco who's coming in and saying that, uh, that the president shouldn't do this. Um, one of their arguments was that, uh, is that it discriminates in, against uh, uh, black folks in, in uh, communities of color. And, you know, I stood up with uh, the mayor of Savannah, Georgia, the mayor of, of Los Angeles, the mayor of St. Louis, and they all basically said that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that is crazy. The NAACP said that is crazy. You know, folks of color uh, shouldn't be, um, uh, their kids shouldn't be made to be addicted to cigarettes using menthol at an early age. Um, so I, I think we're, we're standing up to tell the president that you know, we got his back. This is the right thing to do to, to make sure that these, these menthol cigarettes are not out there so that kids are getting addicted at a younger age. Um, and I was proud to stand with, with, uh, with those mayors and tell the president we're ready to support him on this. It's the right thing to do. You know, good, good, uh, good policy is good politics in this case, and we think it's going to help him. Well, it, it is an election year, and it, it's <laughs> obvious that they, they don't want to tick off the, uh, the, the tobacco-producing states, and I, 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 I get that. But um, it, 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 do speak to the folks that are sitting out there saying, look, we all know the evils of smoking. Uh, we talk to our kids about the evils of smoking, even though we may, may not be the best uh, role models sometimes. And that this is just the nanny state again, coming and telling us what we can't do and really, as adults, taking something away that we should be able to make a reasoned decision about. And it, it, it may start with menthol cigarettes. Pretty soon there will be uh, broadbands against cigarettes, maybe alcohol. And they're saying, when does, when does it stop? What would you say to that? That's the old slippery slope argument, right? It's saying if you do one thing, then everything else is going to happen. At this point, you know, the conversation is not about all cigarettes. It's not about all tobacco. It's about uh, – it's, it's illegal, right, for kids to smoke that are, you know, kids who are young. Who are right, under, that enforce that. And that's, but this is something where they are – they're becoming more addicted because of the menthol uh, uh, flavoring and the, the flavored cigarettes and things like that. This is something that is not needed. We, we haven't seen people not smoking. Um, that's not what this conversation is about. It's about mm-hmm. menthol and it's about the research that's already been done. You know, I, I'm not, I'm here to tell you, you know, I tell my kids don't smoke and, and I hope they don't. Um, and my son is 19 and if he decides to, you know, that's his legal decision. But when, when someone says, hey, try this menthol cigarette, and then they get addicted because of the flavoring, not because of, you know, putting something in your mouth and smoking it. Um, that is something that's directly going after our kids. And we do know, we know the research shows that, that, as you said, 
you know, the health, the health risks are dangerous. You can get cancer, you can get all kinds of different yeah. health uh, ailments if you smoke cigarettes. So this is something where it's, it's, uh, it's specifically done to, to get people addicted to the cigarettes when you use flavoring. And, and so that's why, you know, I think okay. it's important to do this. Um, and the research is there and to not do it because of, um, because of big tobacco making certain claims. That's just, it's a big lobbyist. Spending a lot it's, of money it's not to big tobacco that's telling me this. I mean, it's been listeners for seven years that I've been in his seat right, telling me, right. "Hey, um, I'm 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 a, no, I'm an adult. I can make these these decisions." But is there a better way that we can get to a safer place, Mayor? Like, right? You, we had a wonderful conversation with someone from Tobacco Free Kids the other day, saying, right. "Michigan is dead last." when it comes to resources being spent on educating kids about the evils of, of tobacco. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think we should, you should absolutely put more uh, dollars and resources into that. Uh, when I was in the legislature, I, you know, I supported efforts to, to put more money into that. We had a tobacco settlement uh, and the money didn't actually go towards, towards uh, tobacco cessation. Um, now it went towards scholarships, which was a good thing. We wanted to try and help kids get into college. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's wrong. That's part of a, a bigger conversation of we have a, an enormous state budget, and where does all the money go? And now I never served on the Appropriations Committee, so uh, I can't tell you about those conversations, but I think that's part of the puzzle. But each piece is an important part of the puzzle. How do we educate people about the dangers of cigarettes, but also how do we prevent them from getting addicted through flavored cigarettes and, and menthol? And again, the research has been done that, that this is actually happening. Um, you don't see a rule to ban all tobacco and all cigarettes. You don't see a rule... Uh, I don't think they could do that by rule. It actually would have to be a law. But, you know, with the, the menthol, this is it's just a different animal. This is something that's specifically there to get kids uh, addicted. And that's that's a problem. That's what the research has shown. And um, in this case, do what the research shows and not what the lobbyists are telling you. We're speaking with uh, Lansing Mayor Andy Shore, who's at the 92nd winter meeting of the U.S. Conference of Mayors and joining forces with other mayors to urge the White House to enact uh, final rule prohibiting menthol cigarettes. You know, Mr. Mayor, as the mayors unite at this conference of mayors, how can the communities get together and actively support and contribute to the efforts aimed at eliminating these menthol cigarettes? What can the communities do? Well, communities can certainly uh, provide the same, you know, the same advocacy um, to to the White House, to the folks that are, you know, making final decision on the rule. Um, you know, the mayors are there on behalf of their communities. Again, there were there were what five or six of us, um, and and I was proud to be part of it. Macon, Georgia, and um, just we were all there um, to push for this. But you know, residents residents can can comment on the rule, and and you can send comments, and you can talk to your your member of Congress. You can send letters and uh, and calls to the White House. But really, it's it's advocacy to say this is what your your experts have have said. And it's time to move forward. Don't let the, you know, the big tobacco lobbyists try and scare you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of their big arguments was that communities of color will be adversely affected. And what I heard was was four, you know, four uh, mayors of color step up and say, that's crazy. You know, don't don't get our kids more addicted um, just because we're communities of color. And again, the NAACP standing up and saying that so you've got a, an external organization, not just mayors, but this external organization that represents uh, the African-American community. Um, so anywhere that, that they, they plug into any of these conversations, they should raise their voice. Well, when you look at the marketing, they're targeting the African-American community and victimizing them. You've got higher rates of smoking, sure. higher rates of cancer. As a, really quickly before I let you go, 
I was talking with a former county clerk yesterday who is still in contact with a lot of other clerks who says, and I, and I don't know if you're seeing this with your city clerk, tremendous frustration with the new rules that were handed down from the ballot proposal for early voting, that they're just not getting the resources and the help they need to uh, to enact those uh, things. Are you hearing that as well, that this is going to be a really frustrating and perhaps very costly uh, and maybe even inefficient election coming up? Our city clerk is actually really happy with all the um, the with the laws that were okay. passed by the by the citizens of Michigan. Uh, we are opening up early voting, and we have early voting centers. Um, we are making it a lot easier to vote. We sent out information to every voter saying, "Here's what you can do." Um, our clerk loves it. I mean, in terms of getting repayment, the state you know the state said they're going to pay us back the money, and we need to make sure we get the repayment. And that's right. certainly something we're, we're working through. And I, I think it's it's a little delayed, but. Uh, but we've gotten the dollars from past elections. It just takes a little longer than we would like. But, no, it's not a problem um, with the policy. It's a problem with the support that they right. feel that they're not getting, right? I think we're getting it. It's just a little delayed. I think okay. that, uh, that some folks at the state are working through that. They they understand that. It's just a little delayed. But we're in terms of the, the users, right, the citizens, they are getting these, these tools to make it easier to vote. We're just trying to get repaid quicker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. All right. Fighting the battle uh, against uh, big tobacco in Washington, D.C., Lansing Beer, Andy Shore. Time for Automotive Views, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. After half a decade of wandering through the calendar, the Detroit Auto Show returns to January next year. It's a victory for the downtown hotels and restaurants that have been missing out on midwinter customers since the last January show in 2019. But it's also a tacit admission of defeat for show organizers that the Motor City can no longer attract international automakers to reveal new models, present their executives to the media, or otherwise treat the show like a top-notch global gathering, because it isn't. It's a sad evolution for the once dominant North American International Auto Show, but while the truth may sting, embracing reality is a good thing. The show's public days will no longer be competing with Michigan and MSU football, Tigers baseball, and some of the most beautiful weather of the year in this beautiful state. The press days will presumably be no more, and almost no one will miss them. With this week's Automotive View, I'm Jamie Butters, host of the Daily Drive podcast and executive editor of Automotive News.